There's crispy. And then there's crispy. Err. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy. Err. Welcome to HBCU 468, brought to you by ESPN's The Undefeated. This weekly podcast looks at life inside and outside of sports from the unique perspective of the Roden Fellows. Handpicked students from six historically black colleges and universities. They're young, they're smart, and they are living one of the most unique experiences in American higher education. I'm Bill Roden, and here are this week's Roden Fellows. I'm Simone Benton from Morgan State University in Baltimore. I'm Donovan Dooley from North Carolina A&T in Greensboro, North Carolina. So, hello, everybody. I'm coming to you from the legendary WEAA on the campus of Morgan State University here in Baltimore, Maryland. It's been a huge week for college sports because it's the homecoming season, particularly at HBCUs. There's nothing like it. Uh, I'm keeping my eye on uh, the Morgan Howard game, but I've also been tracking, obviously, the NFL and the impact of anthem protest. Uh, I was at the press conference uh, last week with Roger Goodell basically talking about what he and the players have come up with, and they came to the decision that players will not be required to stand during the national anthem. I knew that was coming. But the big question remains about how the league can address social issues, keep fans happy, and stay out of the president's tweets. If you're tired of seeing or hearing about the kneeling, it's getting hard to avoid. At least one college player and two high school players were kicked off their teams for kneeling. The college player was reinstated, but he decided not to rejoin the team. And it doesn't stop there. Cheerleaders at Howard University and Kennesaw State University recently knelt during the anthem. And moving away from sports, one Texas congresswoman knelt during his speech, and several Ann Arbor City Council members knelt during the Pledge of Allegiance. So, here to uh, discuss the impact of the anthem protest is the good friend and a Howard University athletic director, Carrie Davis. Hey, Carrie, welcome to the show. How you doing, Bill? I'm glad to be here. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. So, so Carrie, let's just get jump right into it, man. We will talk about your HBO uh, background. Maybe you can't. Sometimes you wish you were there. But uh, how are you feeling about homecoming? Well, I feel terrific about homecoming. This is always an exciting time on campus, but it's even more exciting because of the recent success that we've been having in football. My first two years as athletic director, we won three games altogether. And this year, we've already won three, including a win over an FBS school. Uh, and, and more importantly, the team is just playing and performing better. So when you add the element of a competitive football team to all of the other cultural and social things that happen, during the Howard homecoming, uh, you have a, you have quite a weekend here, so we're looking forward to it. Be careful of those bears, man! I'm just warning you. We're, you know, sleeping giants. So well, we've been we set out some bear traps, and uh, <laughs> we'll do our best. We know Morgan State has a good team, and they they're coming off a win over uh, Savannah last week. I believe it was their homecoming, right. uh, and um, they chose the right program. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. So, uh, so their, their confidence should be up. Uh, I, I would have rather them come in, a little, you know, uh, seeking their first win. But I think now they know that they can they can win. So we got to make sure we take them very seriously. So, Mr. Davis, this is Simone Benson from Morgan State. You know, the team that's going to beat you this weekend. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my question is, my question to you is, like, what was your reaction to the cheerleader cheerleaders taking a knee? Well, you know, the cheerleaders have been taking a knee for almost a year. It didn't really start getting national attention. I think the Washington Post did a piece on it, I guess, about eight, six, eight months ago, uh, and then it sort of went away. But the cheerleaders have been doing it ever since the Colin Kaepernick did his. And, you know, my thought is that as long as they understand what they're protesting about and they give every cheerleader, you know, a new incoming freshman, the opportunity to make their own choices so that there's not peer pressure into making someone do what the group wants them to do. I'm okay with it. You know, how is a university that's built on paying attention to social and political issues? In my day, Stokely Carmichael was here, uh, you know, protesting, and they took over the aid building and all of those kinds of things. Have you spoken to the the athletes? Have you sort of had a, a, a little convocation with the athletes and all of the sports, particularly, you know, football, basketball season coming up, about, you know, what to expect and what they can and cannot do? I've met with every team. Uh, you know, the interesting thing is our football team, like many others, chooses not to come out during the national anthem. So they're in the locker room. So that, so that was sort of a, a moot point. But uh, I spoke to every other team, and they all had their own way that they wanted to handle it. So, for example, in basketball, they chose to raise their fists during lift every voice and sing, but they remained standing for the national anthem. Most of our other teams also chose to remain standing. And I told them each team has to make their choice, but, again, I gave them the same parameters that we gave the cheerleaders, that uh, this is not something that's going to be conducive to peer pressure. And so if everybody's not on board with whatever your symbolism is, then my suggestion would be not to do it. Hey, Mr. Davis, this is Donovan Dooley from uh, North Carolina A&T. I was just wondering, what do you think the impact will be um, from seeing your student-athletes protest? The, the visibility of the issues are paramount on this university. The students are paying attention. There are organizations on campus. They protested, for example, when James Comey spoke at, at Blackburn just a few weeks ago. I feel like the, the university and the student body has become incredibly socially active uh, within the last year, 18 months. Uh, the Black Lives Matter movement is very popular and strong here. I'd like to uh, to bring in Todd Bozeman into the conversation. Todd Bozeman is the head coach of the Morgan State University men's basketball team. He's um, really turned uh, Morgan State into one of the most successful mid-major programs in the country. Todd, what's your thought about the protests? And first of all, have you... Uh, well, first of all, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Thank yeah, you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, thank you. I mean, we just had our homecoming too. I mean, I know we talk about it after the fact, post homecoming, but uh, but thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Hey, Kerry, how you doing? Todd, I'm good, Todd. The Todd's program has done very well. And I think they're. Uh, by the way, I'll say this for him. Everybody's predicting they'll win the uh, the MEAC this year, but I want to remind everyone as to who sent them home last year. Wow. Wow. That, that's pretty good. But, I mean, I've been here 12 years, and so that's that's three times in 12 years. I don't think the odds are pretty good. But, I, I mean, if you want to celebrate that, that's yeah, good. Yeah, if you walk it over, does Ohio still have a program? <laughs> But uh, you know what? I had to throw that in. That's okay. good. So, so that might that might have been your way because I think Howard was picked to finish the 
to win the league last year, and they finished where? Tenth. Yeah. yeah. No, we. Yeah, we didn't. When you lose the best uh, okay. player in the country right before the season starts, it does hurt. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> you asked me about you asked me about the the protests, yeah, yeah. and, and um, I, I did talk to my team about it. Uh, I actually talked to them last year about it as well, but we revisited it because uh, obviously it's coming back up. Last year, we actually locked arms mm. as a sign of support uh, for every game, mm. no matter where it was. See, my, my team knows that I, I'm a proponent on speaking your mind and speaking up and standing up for things and standing up for the right things. And and I just gave them a little bit of history, you know, about uh, athletes from, from the past, the Jim Browns, the Muhammad Ali's, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's, and how they, they all got together and, and supported uh, things. And, and to me, when the Kaepernick thing first hit, and, like, you know, you and I were talking in my office earlier that the, the, the message is getting lost, mm-hmm. and which is a tactic sometimes to sidestep the issue. But my, my thing is nobody has taken a bigger stance than what Muhammad Ali did. Mm-hmm. And he was hated and vilified, and he left this earth as the most famous athlete <laughs> on the right. face of the earth. Yeah. So uh, I believe Kaepernick's going to be more f- famous for w- this stand than even his, his player quarterback. But mm. to yeah. answer your question, yeah. I spoke to my team and I told them that you know, I would support whatever they decided to do, but understand that it's not going to be as simple as you thinking and you're just going to kneel and it's just going to go away. <laughs> right. I said, this is you, you have to be prepared don't do anything trendy. Right, don't right, don't right, get right. caught up in you know things like that. Right, you right. know because your homeboy's doing it. Right, like, you know, right. some of the, sometimes like guys put these hashtags on right. hashtags no days off. But right. yet when practice comes, you know they like man, <laughs> coach, can we get a day off? You're like hold on, man, what's up with the hashtag? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, like you know they they like you know kids right. nowadays like to be trendy. So right. but but even right. with my own kids, I tell them I say mm-hmm. you know when you stand up for something, just be prepared to talk about it. Show that you put some thought into it it doesn't it's not like it's wrong or right but if it's something that you believe in just make sure you have put some thought into it mr bozeman or you know mr davis he's the only one to answer um do you you talked about the message being kind of lost in the sauce basically and with everything you see on social media do you think that athletes feel pressure just naturally right now to take that stand even if they might not agree or not even know what they're standing or taking a kneel for. Yeah, so so I, I think that sometimes there is pressure, and I think sometimes it's self-induced. Mm-hmm. I think that when Donald Trump came out and said what he said, it 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 kind of touched on the competitive nature mm-hmm. of guys, mm-hmm. and that that right there set a whole that that sent it to a whole another right. level right there. Right. Uh, I think what Michael Bennett is doing. Uh, to say that, you know, this isn't over because Kaepernick, you know, we haven't addressed that. Right. Like, that's exactly. huge right yeah, there. He, like, said, he said basically this ain't over till he gets signed. Right, right. right. Like, that, that's, that's huge because, <laughs> right. because they can sidestep the issues by continuing to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, it's disrespecting the flag. I mean, that's, it's, 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 it's like an old basketball uh, set of misdirection. Like right. they, they're misdirecting misdir- exactly. the, exactly. the, the the topic right. and, and kind of like what they're doing and passing all these bills under the yeah. table while we're, we're focusing right. on this, you know, these this, these things like this. So yeah. uh, that that's that's my take. I think it, some of it is some of it is pressure, but some of it is self-induced because we as people sometimes feel like you know we gotta do this to to fit in. 
And is it as people or is it as students uh, at a black college? Because I think that's um, that's more or less what I'm thinking. Because like a lot of times, I think just because you go to a H, uh, HBCU, it's automatic that you this is what you agree with and right. this is what you should be doing. I guess that's what I'm saying with the pressure because at a black college, you know, we we have history of protesting and stuff like that. So well, you know, I was at, I I coached at, at Cal Berkeley and they have a history of protesting too. It's yeah. not HBCU, oh, yeah, so. You know, protesting is protesting, and and I always tell my guys. I mean, I say, yeah, we had HBCU, but you have to be yourself. Right. So you have to be able to speak up for yourself. And so my guys didn't feel the pressure. And, uh, and if they did, I would talk to them about it because, you know, I want my guys to be individuals. Right. Clearly, we have to play as a team, right. but you have to be an individual. Right. And you know, I had a guy that. that you know, carried around a Bible, and I mm. wanted him to feel comfortable doing that. I said, you know, be be yourself. So that goes in line yeah. with the same thing. Hey, hey Carrie, what did you do? What, first of all, Carrie, where did you go to undergrad? I went to Dartmouth. So how did you come to this? I mean, was there a lot of that uh, on the campus? Uh, was that part of your college experience? <laughs> Not at all. As a matter of fact, it was just the opposite. Uh, I went to, uh, I probably had four or five percent black, you know, black students at Dartmouth when I was there. Uh, you know, they called it eight eight to ten percent minorities, but that included everybody. You know, if, uh, so quite frankly, at the time when I went to Dartmouth, there was a lot of social unrest in the New England area. I don't remember if you still remember that article, Bill. You probably do about the the, the young man getting beaten with a with a flag in yeah. Boston. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, I was in college at that time. Uh, and so, you know, there was a lot of unrest on our campus by our black students, but we were in such a minority. And I remember my senior year, we got together and protested and painted the, the, the Winter Carnival statue, red, black, and green. Well, they threatened to kick us out of the school. As a matter of fact, they shut school down <laughs> for, the, for, for the following week. But that, that was the extent of it. Todd made an excellent point, and the young lady's question is a good one. You know, we don't all think the same. You're right. So, you know, we're not a monolithic group, African-Americans. People like to think we are. But we have black Republicans. We have black people who don't believe in gun control. We run the gamut. So I look at our student body and say we probably run this, that same gamut here. Right. So that's why I said to our students, don't take for granted that we're all on the same page in terms of how we feel about standing for the flag or or how we feel about Kaepernick. And the one thing that Donald Trump did do, right, is he gave a platform for the people who disagreed with Kaepernick's stance to really be vocal about their position. Uh, and it's in some ways it hurt. I actually heard I heard from a donor uh, who was thinking about donating to the athletic department uh, that he was uncomfortable with the stance that the cheerleaders had taken and was rethinking his position on donating. So we're not all on the same page that way. You know, let's face it, we, we get donations from a number of different um, entities and, and corporations, uh, and we even get federal funding. So they take, take all of that into consideration right, when, when these type of issues come up. So we walk a delicate balance. We only have a couple of minutes left, but I'd like to hear from uh, both of you. I know that you've got to run. Gary, and thank you so much for uh, being with us, and we look forward to hearing you after the games uh, Saturday. You know, hopefully you'll come back on despite the score, and you talk to us. But, <laughs> Your wife is tears. And, uh, but but yeah, I, I like to hear from both you and Todd because your undergraduate experience. You know, uh, Todd played at the University of uh, Rhode Island, uh, and uh, you know, coached it at, uh, at, uh, at Cal Berkeley. You uh, 
Carrie went to, to diving, like you said. But what is the difference, though, when you, that you found being on these HBCU campuses when it comes to these types of protests? I mean, is there a different motive for it? Is there a different undercurrent? Is there, is there, is there a difference? I studied a lot of African-American history, and that's why my whole thing comes from taking a stance and being who, who right. I am in a book, The Road Less Traveled. And mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm comfortable wearing my skin, and mm-hmm. so I wanted to make sure that I raised my children that way or whatever players or people that I've come in contact with to encourage them to do that. But at Rhode Island, there wasn't anything of protest at that time, but but then at, at Cal Berkeley, you know, they protested yeah. a lot of things and all the time. Day, I every, mean, every I mean day. even right. they, they even had a guy that protested wearing clothes and he walked around naked all the time. So, <laughs> so you know, so but that's what they promote out right. in Berkeley. So you're talking about you know hippies right. and all that kind of thing. So, so for me, it almost feels now very almost eerily similar to where it felt like back in the 70s when I was in college, right? Mm. Because now there are things that feel more personal, if you will. To me, there's a lot of similarities between how I felt back then uh, as an African-American at Dartmouth as to how some of the students now here may feel, even though they're in the majority on this campus, but how they feel in Washington, D.C., in this political climate with what's going on uh, in, in, in our country. The strides that everybody felt we had made right, through the election of, you know, uh, of a black president, but what it did was it made, and I'll say it, white folk think that, boy, you know, we made all of these strides. Mm-hmm. I remember going into the office at HBO just the next day, and, and, and the president said to me, isn't this a great day in America? Look, you know, we've turned the page. Look at, look at how far we've come. Right. I know he meant it the right way, but at the end of the day, we all knew that that really didn't mean anything, right? And what Trump has done is allowed everything to go back to the forefront by almost because of what happened with Obama getting elected. Hmm. Hey, well, Kerry, listen, I know you've got to run. Uh, and again, I really uh, appreciate your time. And when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking homecoming, homecoming on HBCUs. Okay. So, Kerry, they thank you so much uh, for being a guest. And uh, everybody stick around. We'll be right back. If you're just now tuning in, you're listening to HBCU 468. I'm Bill Roden, and I'm here with uh, Simone Benson and Donovan Dooley. Uh, HBCU homecoming season is in full swing. If you attended an HBCU but you can't make it to your school's festivities, don't worry. The Undefeated has been covering several homecomings and asking readers who has the best HBCU homecoming. Share your answer with us by tweeting at the undefeated with hashtag best HBCU homecoming. If you didn't attend an HBCU, don't worry. Uh, we're going to give you a deep dive. Most HBCUs host a week of activities like step shows, concerts, and, of course, a football game, which a lot of guys who play don't realize that until they stop playing and stand that the football game was in, like background music. It's not really. That's what you said. Yeah, it is. Like, I'm stunned. It was like people don't even know, you know. But that said, <laughs> uh, each college university has a flair that's distinctively theirs. Grambling University's homecoming festivities are underway, and we're honored and grateful to have Miss Grambling 2017. Jamitra Robertson is on the line with us today. Jamitra, welcome to the show, and congratulations. 
Hello, thank you so much. I appreciate it. So, so you were just scrambling. How does it feel? And what was it like sort of running? A lot of people don't realize how competitive it is. I mean, particularly on HBCU campuses. What was the experience like for you? First of all, I'm just grateful and thankful to be able to realize a dream that I had since I was a freshman coming into Grambling State University. And it's really competitive, and HBCUs is something big. And, you know, most people don't um, who don't attend HBCUs don't realize how important it is and how exciting it is to have an HBCU queen. Did you run before? Yes, I um, have been in student leadership ever since freshman year, so I um, was freshman class secretary in student government, okay. um, vice president of the sophomore class, and then I was um, student activities president. Have you been to other uh, HBCU homecomings? I wanted to attend Tennessee State, but I didn't get a chance to, so I haven't really experienced anyone but Grammy. Oh, you missing out. You got to get to G-Hub. This is Donovan Dooley, by the way, North Carolina A&T, <laughs> who says, who insists that a and has the best homecoming. Which is because not it, the truth. I, it's a fact. So can I ask you all something? Yeah. What constitutes mm-hmm. a great homecoming? I mean, it's like how much you I drink. Think the, or, I, no, I think, well, yeah, that counts. But like, the, <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't drink. Yes, I can. I'm, I'm old enough to drink. Okay. Anyways, but um, what counts though is the atmosphere. I think it's more or less just the fact that you have alumni and current students come together. If you have that family atmosphere and it feels like a cookout, if it don't feel like a cookout, then it's not. It's not the right. You shouldn't be there because it's just. It doesn't. That's what homecoming feels like. It's just a nonstop cookout mm. all day and all night until you decide to pass out and go to sleep. What, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. Pass out. I mean, go to sleep. Uh. <laughs> Me too. So what, what, you know, Donovan said A&T had the best homecoming. Does Grambling have the best homecoming? Yes, we do. Especially the game day is really, really crazy. It's nowhere to park. It's, it's really nowhere to turn around at Grambling homecoming because there's so many supporters, alumni, the students, and it's just, it's really, really overwhelming. And I think that I agree with her when she said that the atmosphere is really the greatest part of homecoming with the alumni coming back, they're contributing. And like she said, if it doesn't feel like a cookout or a reunion, something is not right. I asked Todd Bozeman to stay around. Coach Bozeman is the head coach of the uh, Morgan State University basketball team. But I want him to stay around. See we, see, we always like to give perspective here, like historical perspective. <laughs> historical. You know? So now Coach Bozeman, he went to undergrad. He went to University of Rhode Island. You know, PWI, as we call it. Then he coached at Cal Berkeley. But now he's been at Morgan going to his 11th, 12th year. His 12th year. So so give me a, a, your perspective on homecoming. Well, first of all, let me say that I, I didn't attend the Grambling uh, homecoming, but I, I used to be at Tulane University okay. in New Orleans. So I've been to Grambling, and I've been around. I went to uh, the, the Bayou, Bayou Classic, Classic yeah. which was bananas. Uh, right, right. Oh, so that was my first time experiencing, <laughs> you know, all my cousins at one time right. in a big uh, venue like right. that. Like, right. that was bananas to right. me. Right. But at Rhode Island, you know, they had Oktoberfest. Beer. Was, yes, you got <laughs> it. That was so beer. beer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was beer and, and, and things like that. So, and then going to, to Cal, you know, the closest thing I could say is every home football game is like that. They tailgate in the morning and they tailgate all day and they got food and grills and, and major colleges. You're talking about 85,000. Like every week is right. like that. So, but at HBCU, I guess, and I've been here, like I said, 12 years. So for me, it's been great to experience him growing up. 
in the Maryland area, we, we would go to Howard's homecoming. So mm. I've seen that up close and personal since I've been here. We played Howard mm. before for their homecoming. Their homecoming is, is it's pretty uh, active. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the, and the Morgan one, yeah, that was as political as I could get. So, so uh, but the Morgan one is, is live. Lit. It's, it's Lit. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as they say now, lit. It's litty. It was litty this past weekend. Yeah. So, uh, but no, I, I, it's it's it is like what Simone says. Like a, no, it's like a cookout, cookout reunion. Re- reunion. Yeah, because you see all the past people, and mm. you see guys squeezing in their Letterman jackets that clearly don't fit. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 oh. The gala, they really mm. get down. Like when they start doing the wobble, like the whole place the is doing the wobble, <laughs> wow. and they're getting creative, and it's, it's no, it's it's really. I'm talking about you. People have tucks on and gowns, and all, but they are jamming. So, um, Dimitri, we'll let you have the last the last word on on homecoming since you are the home the, the homecoming queen. What do you do as a homecoming queen? The most major thing is being presented on the field, like one of thousands of people. Um, just being present, presented and representing my school, and you know, just let, showing the love that I have for my school, and and just like you say, just taking part. And uh, reminiscing with the alumni, just seeing the smiles on their faces. So the biggest part is game day at halftime. I feel mm. it's the greatest thing. And then also attending the events throughout the week. I mean, they're always looking to see, you know, the queen's going to be there, what she has on. Um, mm. You know, so just um, being supportive in the events throughout the week. <laughs> where are you from? Where are you from? I am from Arcadia, Louisiana. It's only about 15 minutes uh, west of Grambling. So... I'm a Gremlinite. I'm a third generation Gremlinite. Oh, wow. So, do you think that figured yeah, into uh, helping to win the election? <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I'm not sure about that. Because <laughs> um, also, it's something that's really, really touching to me too. Is that I'm the first one um, out of the generation of my family to actually be this active. My mother and my grandmother they went to school, and basically all they did was go to school. So I kind of left the you know, a trademark, so I really kind of brought out the Grammy in the family. Can, can I ask you a question? I, I used to live in New Orleans. I lived in New Orleans for, for like three and a half, four years. Do you make groceries or do you buy groceries? I buy groceries. <laughs> I have a best friend that's from New Orleans, and she always says, we're going to make groceries. I'm just like, it's not make. We're going to the store to buy groceries, but... Make groceries. That's what they say. They say, um, we're going to make groceries. I say, what you going to make? We buy the groceries and we make the food. Oh, my God. Wow. But it's whatever you prefer. I think that's going to be another segment. (laughs) Hey, so listen, uh, Dimitri, thank you so much and congratulations uh, again. Uh, that, that's Thank all. The, you. I appreciate y'all for having me. Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. Uh, that, that's all the time we have for uh, the show today. Uh, we'd like to thank Kerry Davis from Howard, Todd Bozeman from Morgan. Obviously, thank you to uh, Simone and to Donovan. And uh, before we close out, uh, I'll leave you with some thoughts to consider. You know, Lonzo didn't have the greatest debut, you know, going up against Patrick Beverly, one of the scrappiest and toughest point guard defenders in the league. We all knew that he would have some growing pains, especially in that first game. But the thing that you really that really worries you about Lonzo from the jump is his 
physicality. I know that's a problem for most rookies coming into the league, but Lonzo's kind of frail, and he's going to have to get his stock up, he's going to get his weight up before he can be a dominant force in this league. Now, it's still early. It's still only the first game, and he did show some flashes of playmaking ability in the game versus the Clippers, but I think with time, he'll grow into it. I don't think he's going to be a 20-point-per-game scorer. I think he'll score around 14 points a game and give you about eight assists a game. He'll be like a nice Jason Kidd-type player in the league, but I think Lonzo's going to mature into that player. He might not. He might. He didn't show it in game one, but it's just one out of 82. So. Thanks for listening to H. PCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. This show is produced by Aaron Matthewson. Tony Chow and Martin Onebu are in the control room. Special thanks to David Cummings. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts as well as All Day. What are those? And Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everybody.